Kimberly, and uh, my claim to fame to be able to come and speak to you is I am a survivor of motherhood. Uh, there were times I didn't think that I would be, but I do have four children, and I now have ten grandchildren with the eleventh one uh, very soon to appear, a little sooner than, than we were hoping for, so we're praying he can stay in the womb a little bit longer, this eleventh one. Um, The topic for this morning is knowing the one true living God and teaching our children to know him. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. It's a good verse for us just to focus on. But we asked the icebreaker question this morning about how do you feel about your name. Uh, Names are important to people. Uh, If you... um, When you're pregnant and you're choosing a name for your child, it's a really big deal, as you can remember, or maybe you're in the process of. It takes a lot of contemplation, and if you're like me, I would write them all out. I would want to write what it looked like when you uh, looked down at it, so I'd practice writing them out if we had decided on one. And it's kind of one of those tense moments for you as couples, because every name has to be processed through the other person's history, like if they knew. Uh, a James or something and that James they didn't like or that was the class clown or something that sticks in their mind in the same way with girls names so you kind of have to go through what clearing with each other how people feel about names Um, we want to be careful that there's no mistake with how the name is going to flow together or what words the initials might form that would kind of, we don't want anything to become an entity of itself and not have focus on the child instead of on the name. But I'm going to tell you about a a young Texas woman, a young Texas lady who was born in 1882 that uh, her parents did not think through her name very well. Her father was the governor of Texas. His name was James Stephen Hogg, H-O-G-G. And so when this young lady was born, her father chose her name out of an epic poem called The Fate of Marvin. It was written by her uncle. And there were two female characters in that epic poem. One was named Leela. And one was named Ima. And her father chose Ima to be her name. And so, forever after, oh, it's down at the very bottom there on my slide. She was Ima Hogg. Now, as she grew up... uh, it's when I read about her, it said that she would try to write her first name illegibly so that people couldn't really tell what it was. And when she got older, on all of her stationery, she just put I period hog. <clears throat> so it didn't have that I'm a hog to it. Uh, there's a huge myth that you may, if you're a Texas-born girl in seventh grade Texas history, you may have even heard this. I did in my Texas history class when I was growing up, that she had a sister named Yura and that they were Ima and Yura Hogg. That is a myth. She only had brothers, but even when I was telling my husband there was no Yura Hogg, he said, that can't be right. I've known that all my life. But actually, this young lady was a very talented musician and artist. She was very rich because her father had a lot of oil, and she accomplished a great deal in her life. But she never married. 
And she lived until 1975, so she was 93 when she died. So for 93 years, she was, I'm a hog. So that kind of makes you think, I do want to be careful about what I name my children if they're going to live that long. But if you Google oddest name historically, hers comes up. She has that uh, reputation. Now, uh, my mother-in-law had kind of a similar name, but not nearly as bad as I'm a hog. But her parents named her Iona as her first name, and her middle name as Pearl. So she was forever Iona Pearl. And it really annoyed her because people made jokes about it all the time. So she finally just started going by Pearl and tried to avoid ever writing Iona as her first name, except legally that was her name. So on every formal documentation, she had to put her name as Iona Pearl. And of course, somebody would make a joke about it. Uh, A friend of ours, when we were newly married, um, was a social worker. And in one of her cases, her client had a new um, baby and had named him Regis Padoff Jones. And so my friend thought, oh, that must be a family name. So she inquired about it. And the girl said, no, she had gotten it off of the can of tomatoes. And my friend said, the can of tomatoes? And she's trying to think in her mind. And so the girl got a can of tomatoes. And it does say on a can of tomatoes, registered U.S. patent office. And so she had just taken that as her child's name. And he was Regis Padoff. So the definition of the word name is that it is a label to distinguish objects. In the Hebrew culture, it meant that the namer and the name had some connection in some way. Like it may have been something that made an impression on them or it was an important significant meaning of the word or maybe it was a prayer or a hope of the parent. So Hebrew names have a lot heavier a connection between the, the word and the meaning than we have in our culture. Now, God's name is how he reveals himself to us. So when we're talking about knowing him and teaching our children to know him, a good way to do that is to focus on how he has revealed himself in scripture by his names and his attributes. This is how he, one way, he explains who he is and what his glory and his power are. Uh, And when you look in the New Testament, the names of Christ, all the different names of Christ and the attributes that it gives him, really explain what he is to be to all men. So by telling people his name, God has explained his character. Now, in Hebrew, um, you didn't just use a name as just a label, but it meant that or what I want to say is the word know. The word know in Hebrew is not just that you know things individually, like they're just all these little dots somewhere. But the meaning of the word know in Hebrew is that you not only know it, but you have an active enjoyment of pleasure with that thing that you know. So it really has a lot more uh, intimacy and relationship to the word no than we have. Uh, And so when you read 
uh, in scripture in the King James when a man and a woman marry and they have intimacy the way it is put is that Isaac knew his wife or he knew Rebecca meaning he had a sexual relationship with her that deep idea of knowing that there was pleasure and intimacy associated with it and so when God is talking about in scripture to know his name he is talking about more than just a label that you can recite off he's talking about you developing with him a pleasure a connection with him through that name and so that would be my thought this morning is I'm going to talk about how to teach children God's names is that you are not doing it so they can rattle off labels for God but that through your teaching and your interaction with them you are teaching them to have pleasure of that name of God and to interact with God about that name and to connect it to their hearts and to their lives you know little children love to play follow the leader at my house because we do have so many grandchildren when they're all there and it's chaos follow the leader is a very good game because it does give me a chance to control the situation for about five minutes but you know there are lots of names through their lifetime that your children may follow one of them may just be the Pied Piper just whatever is called to them they follow but if you take time when they are particularly toddler age to teach them God's name you are setting a foundation for them to be following him as their leader Uh, and I am talking about teaching them in their toddler years God's name not so that just in this broad brush stroke they know God's names but rather that even down to today they could think about what God is like what he is known by and how that connects with their lives even as toddlers one thing that when we learn God's name the immediate practical thing we can do is we can turn that into prayer and praise and if we can teach our children that that you learn God's name but then you can turn that into praying back his name to him and discussing with him in conversation with him and praising him just thanking him letting him know how much you value that particular thing being true of him when you do that what you are teaching your children to do is to meditate on God's name and very clearly in scripture one of the ways that God says for us to lead a life that is close to him and successful in his eyes is to learn to meditate on him and so by knowing his names where you can call them to your mind you can think about it you can chew it like cow, a cow chews his cud uh, it enables you to meditate and apply it to more parts of your life and it becomes communion with God it's kind of like you're teaching yourself to talk to yourself about God and yourself it's like you're interacting with God about this is who you are this is whom I'm not but I would like to be more like you are and one of its great effects on our lives is to humble us because the more we dwell on who God is then it reduces our pride because we're not so infatuated with who we are Uh, it's also a good way to comfort us when you are struggling through difficult times in life and um, you know those 
will crop up a lot when you're moms and they don't end. I mean, James and I this, this week were saying, goodness, did we ever think there'd be so many struggles and things to have to uh, process through and be so dependent on God about. But when we know his name, it is a comfort to us because when the problem comes up, instead of just playing it on the uh, DVD of our hearts, we can eject that and we can say, no, I'm going to think on what God is like and how he and his power and his ways can help us in the midst of this. Uh, So this morning, I want to talk to you about a starting place for teaching children God's names. Now, God's names through scripture, there are so many of them, it would just be immense. Even if I tried to give you a composite list, it wouldn't even work because I would have to leave some out. So what I'm going to focus on this morning is some that I taught my children. And so I've put down 40 of them on your handout and I'm just going to talk to you about how I taught those to my children. These do not have the Hebrew names for God like Elohim and Adonai and El Shaddai. I would encourage you to add those when your children are in elementary school but not when they're toddlers just to start with something very basic when they're toddlers and then um, build on it uh, down the road. Um, Now What I found in teaching children God's names is you've got to take the name, but you've got to reduce it down to a mental, tangible picture. Because that is what communicates most to children from two to five. And so if you see some name of God in scripture, or you're reading a Bible story and you see an attribute of God that's exhibited there... What you want to do to make that particular thing stick with your child is to think of a visual way to demonstrate it. And then what you can do is just build on that by picking scriptures that show that, um, by adding biblical characters that exhibit it. But you got I feel like when I was doing it that the best, most successful thing was if I could reduce it down to uh, a picture for them. Now, I'm going to tell you what I did for each of these, and then I'm just going to discuss with you some ways that I used it, uh, how we met, uh, worked with it when they were little. And what I want to do uh, now is I just want to give you some scriptures to motivate you to consider doing this. Uh, Because what you invest in in teaching your children, you want to be sure it's scriptural based. And the thing that I was just impressed on my heart when I first started thinking about doing this with the kids is how much God talks about his name in scripture. He likes his name. If you just picked the Bible up and read it from Genesis to Revelation without reading any commentary or had anybody teach you, one of the deductions you could make is he likes his name. He says it in so many different ways. So I just picked a few scriptures here. They're on the back of your handout. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, you may think that your children as toddlers will not trust in chariots and horses, but they do have their own little chariots and horses. They may be called Barbie or Princess so-and-so or a Star Wars character. But there are things in their little lives that they think 
are the source of satisfaction. And if they just had that, it may even just be something in your pantry. But they get a fixation on something that they feel like that's what they need to be happy. And so, by teaching them God's names, you can talk about chariots and horses. When you watch things or see things, you can talk about, what is that person depending on to be happy? What do you feel like that person is looking and thinking, that will make me happy? And you can ask it even as they're playing with their friends. What do you feel like you all were depending on this morning? Let's go to your room, and what is the one thing you would pick out that you would say makes you the happiest when you have it? And then you're just channeling them not to say you don't enjoy that not to say those things are wrong but to say you know what God wants us to realize he is the thing that can make us happy all of our lives and so we don't want to start thinking that this little thing or that little thing will make us happy all of our lives and you th- I used to compare it to a baby being born that a baby really and truly excuse me, to grow needed milk, either mother's milk or a formula that that, uh, mirrored it. And that if I gave that baby other stuff like sweet tarts or Skittles or whatever, you know, some of the older ones were thinking, that would not be the meet the true need of that baby. And it might be bright colored and it might taste sweet and you might think that it would be great for that baby. But truly, to meet that baby's need, they need milk. And so to correlate that to what you need to know about being happy in life is to know who God is. Because he is the one who can make you happy in life. And so teaching him, uh, teaching them God's names gives them a thing, a foundation to build on to combat those chariots and horses. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat. Psalm 9:10. Those who know your name will trust in you. I'm going to walk over here and get my water just a minute. <clears throat> and so I would say if I went around the room, all of you would say, oh, I so long for my child to trust in God. Well, what the scripture tells us is those who know his name are going to trust in him. And that just makes sense because then we understand more about him. And he's not just flat. And he's not uh, dead. He becomes living as we think about his names. Another scripture says, Psalms 22:22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise you. Another thing we probably all long for is that our children will grow up and they will be bold about sharing who God is and what he is like. And what God says, he wants his name declared. And he doesn't mean you just go around saying God or Jesus. He wants the things he's revealed in scripture about himself revealed. Because those are the true things about what he is like. In Exodus 27 it says you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words we don't call ourselves Christians and Christ followers and God followers. And then be hypocritical. If we're going to take on his name, then we need to be exhibiting that. We need to be learning about it. We need to be making it a practical part of our lives. And this morning I was just reading in Psalm 139, toward the end of the chapter, it was talking about the wicked. And it said, the wicked despise your name and take it in vain. And I'd never seen that verse before. So God has set up a juxtaposition. 
that we who follow him need to not take his name in vain, but he states clearly the wicked take his name in vain because they're not honoring who he has said he is. And then Psalm 135.13, it says, Your name endures forever. One of the things that we would constantly say to our children is, What lasts forever? God's word lasts forever. The souls of people last forever. God himself lasts forever. And specifically, his name, when you get to heaven and are with him, is still going to be the same. So learning about his name here is an investment in eternity. And just teaching your child that what lasts forever helps them make a lot of good decisions rather than poor decisions if they're thinking about how they're going to invest their time. And then another scripture, Psalm 8-2 says, Out of the mouth of children I have ordained praise. God has built into children the ability to praise him. You will find that that is a natural thing for them in these early years. They learn to not praise. But God gives them a natural ability to just talk to him and thank him for who he is. And we need to set up avenues for them to gain experience in that so it will continue. Psalms 34.3, the one I had with the title, is, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Moms, one of the best ways you can exalt God's name is to teach it to your children so that they can know it. Um... Now, let's just take these 40 names, and I'm just going to tell you what I did with them. And, you know, this is not uh, inspired like Scripture. This is Judy Wimberly. And you may have other ways that you want to teach them to your children, but I'm just going to give you the ideas that I use for teaching them. Um, I have some Scriptures over in the column where it talks about this particular character or name or character quality of God. That is not a complete list. I just put a reference, but you know, you could go to a concordance and find lots of evidence for each one of these. And here's what I did. I took where he I used places where he called himself a name and what that meant. But I also taught the children his attributes, because here's the way I look at his attributes. They are really a name because he is the epitome of what that is. Like take mercy. That's he is really the merciful one in all capital letters because on all of those attributes he defines what that is. No one can out-mercy God. He is the merciful one. And so the attributes to me just become a name by putting the and capital letters and one on the end of it. Because God defines what that is. Now my sister was not a believer, but she would sit around all the time and she would say, Oh, I just believe in grace. I just believe in grace. And I would always think, So who's the definition of grace? She was just thinking she could define it. But, you know, if we teach our children God is the gracious one. He is grace. He defines it. And nobody can out-grace him in life. And that's the kind of avenue I took when I was teaching my children is God is above all else in all of these categories. Nobody can be above him. 
Now, there's the three that you can teach children omniscience, omnipresent, and then one further down the line of omnipotent. And I would teach those to toddlers. I would teach the familiar part of it, but then I would stick on the label. And omni just means all. And I would teach my children, this is a sign language for all. You put this hand here, and you put your palm back here. And you go all the way around. That means all. So then I would ask them, is this all? Is this all? Is this all? Is this all? No. This is all. So God is all-knowing. Does that mean he just knows about things in America? Does that mean he just knows things through 1900? Does that mean he doesn't know how the world began? No. God is all-knowing. And so when we learned about this one, we would do that sign. And we would, I would just say, omni, the first part of this word means all, the last part of this word means knowing, and I would just have the word on the card that we were using for that particular uh, attribute. Now, reducing it down to a picture, here is what I did with all-knowing. I had a friend who worked in the ER, and she brought me an x-ray that I guess was going to be discarded. But it was kind of like a chest x-ray. Anyway, it showed all the skeletal bones and everything. And so I used that with my children, and I said, so you think that no one can see inside of you to know what's going on or what you're like. But God is all-knowing. He can see inside of you. We create x-rays just to see your bones and structures, but God sees your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking in your mind. He knows the word that's on your tongue. He is all-knowing. I also attached to that particular card, uh, I stapled an old library card on it. Now, today, you may not even have library cards because everything's so digital. But when you go to the library, walk around all of the books, not just in the children's section, but walk all the way through the library, and you say, God knows everything in all of these books. He is all-knowing. And you know what? He knew it before anybody put it down in a book. He is all-knowing. And you just want to look for ways to enlarge their concept so that they don't think God is limited in knowing. And here's another thing I would say to my children because they had the habit of when they were trying to tell you something, they would say, you know what? You know what? And I would say to them, do you know who you can never say that to? God. You can never say to God, you know what? You know what? Because God knows what. He knows it. He knows all. So just look for ways to connect to their world. That's what you're trying to do. Okay. Alpha and Omega. This is the Greek alphabet letters, and alpha's A, and omega's the last one. And so I would just tell them, I would put the A to Z. When they're toddlers, they learn how to say A, B, C, all the way to Z. And I would say, this is another way of saying A to Z. If we go in uh, the dollar store, I might say, this store has everything from A to Z. And what do I mean by that? It means that whatever we need for today, we can probably find some version of it in here to satisfy that need for the day. And what we're saying about God is he is the Alpha and Omega. He is all we need. He is from A to Z, all we need. That means that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing 
He is there and he is ready to listen to you and he has what you need. And when you lie down in bed at night, he is the last thing that you, last one you need to talk to and discuss things with because he is Alpha and Omega. He is A to Z. Okay, anchor we just made out of a pipe cleaner. Uh, an anchor and then we would uh, just tie like on little boats we would tie a string and a rock and we would just look at how you could slow that boat down if you were if it's raining and you have water going by the curb and you want to slow it down you get a big enough rock it'll slow it down and they can see an anchor is what keeps it steady and it keeps it still and in place uh, bread. Jesus said he is the bread of life. And you know we just made, uh, when I was making something out of dough, we just made a little loaf of bread. And we baked it and I sprayed it with shellac and it lasted forever. Now if you don't spray it with shellac, bugs will eat it. But, and also kids, kids will sample it as you're going through learning God's name. But talk about bread. Every culture in the world has some form of bread. So that no matter where we went in the world or what people group we sat down with, there would be some form of bread. Now, they may not have plenty of it if they're poor, but they have some form. You just think of, you know, Italian, French, uh, taco, you know, tortillas, all kinds. And so talk about different kinds of bread and even line up lots of examples of bread. And watch when you go different places. If you go to a bakery, look at all the different kinds of bread they have and talk about it. And think about that you eat bread and it's what makes you grow and be strong. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Not just the physical bread for you to grow, but so that your heart can grow and your understanding can grow about me. And how do you partake of me? Through my word. And you relate it back to that that's how we learn about him, how we can take him in. Uh, creator, the way I taught them that this name is that I just use the sign language for uh, speaking. Which is, if you're speaking something that's good, you just turn your palm up and your hand comes down and your palm stays up. If it's bad, it turns over. And I just taught them this, that he was the creator because he spoke the world into existence. He did not make it with his hands in those early verses in Genesis. He just said, let there be light. And there was light. And so we just use that for creator. But we would always talk about when we were outdoors, what has he created? What did he put in place that this could be when he was speaking the world into existence? Now this next one. Some of these were just hits with my kids, and this was one that they loved. Psalm 121 says that the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. And my kids were so excited to hear that and learn that about God because they hated bedtime. They felt like the minute they had to go to bed and close their eyes, they were missing out. And so they were very excited to hear this about God, that he didn't slumber or sleep. And... What one of them added one day when we were praising God for this, he was praising God that he didn't slumber or sleep, and he added, he doesn't take naps either. And so in our family, that became attached to it. God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and he doesn't take naps either. And they so loved that fact about God. But it was such a good training understanding of God, uh, because if they were scared in the night, it was such a good reminder to say, yeah, but who's awake? Who does not sleep? 
who does not slumber. What is he like? He cares for you. He is with you. He's not going to leave you. He is there. So that was always a favorite when we were praising God. Everybody wanted to thank him that he didn't slumber nor sleep or get tired or take naps. And I was going to show you. What I would do with these as we learned them, I would just take index cards and put something to represent the picture on the card. Whoops, I think I just changed that. I did. I changed it a lot. Okay, I would just uh, put something that represented the quality on the card. Like this one just says, don't slumber or sleep, doesn't take naps, and I just put a bed and an X. God doesn't need a bed because he doesn't do that. And so we would just keep them in a basket by the breakfast table. And so at times when we pray, not every time, but like at mealtime sometimes, we would just get the basket out and we would say, who wants to thank God tonight that he doesn't slumber or sleep or whatever else the cards had on them. And they, that was, when they were really young, that was such a good way to teach them to pray because they liked having something in their hand. That sitting still and praying is just not easy for them so they liked having something in their hand they liked the picture because then they could describe the picture and as we went on with it they would even add things of their own that came to their minds as they were thanking God that he was that and praising him for being that so that some things you know I tried with the kids didn't work well this is one thing that worked well they loved having that basket of cards and being able to pull them out and sometimes I would just say why don't you go In the day, I would sometimes just say, why don't you go get out of our basket your favorite card about God? I just want to know what is your favorite about God today. And let them go and look and then ask them, now why is that your favorite? Is it today he's been that way for you in some way special? But just use it as forms of of communication with them. Okay, door, we just used a picture of a door and talking about letting uh, him in. Now, eternal, the simplest thing to do is to use a ring because it's on ending. And so that's easy to draw on a card or just collect a ring somewhere. But one thing that I would do, when you go to uh, Walmart or Dollar Store or whatever, you can pick up these skeins of yarn very inexpensively. And I would pick them up because we would just do lots of things with them. But one of the things we would do is sometimes we would have a discussion about what does eternal mean that it's on ending. And we would just start pulling it out. And we would pull out, just pull out and pull out until we'd pull to the last. And then if I had a, ba- a basket of them, I would let another child just start pulling and we'd pull out. And I would say, eternal is longer than this. It is longer than this. It is longer than this. Actually, it keeps going on. But it gave them some reference point in their mind where eternal just seemed cloud-like or something to them it was like oh it just keeps going it just keeps going and we're going to be there and we're going to be there with him and he is eternal and the other thing I would say about God when we were talking about eternal is he does not have a birthday God has no birthday He came to earth and was willing to take on a birthday, but he existed before that. And you need to do that when they're young, because what they start thinking is that Jesus was born at Christmas, and that's where he came from. So you need to get the eternal concept in their minds to realize, no, he has always been. He doesn't have a birthday. And then when you pass a cemetery or a graveyard, and by the way, don't be squeamish about what a cemetery or a graveyard is because it's a very natural part of life. You just say, God doesn't have any grave. 
God has no grave, and he never will have. And I think I've talked to you before that a way to talk to them about that death is separation. It's not an ending. It's separation. It means that the real person who lives inside your body house goes to be with the Lord when you have Jesus in your heart. And your body is separated from that real person and your body will turn into dust but one day God will resurrect even that body but the real person in you never dies what makes you Josh is still going to be there and you will go to be with the Lord but eternal is a big concept to teach and I would link it with the very next one which is everywhere omnipresent Uh, And Psalm 139 is such a great scripture to share with children and pray for children about how God is is everywhere. It talks about going to the heights, to the depths, and uh, there's no place that he's not. And the way we just demonstrated that is we would just use an envelope and put God's return address as everywhere. If we send an envelope, we stamp our address. Somebody knows where we are, but all God has to put is everywhere. Now, in connection with these two, about eternal and everywhere, one thing I taught my children, and it still sticks in their mind, and I see them teaching their children this, is Hebrews 13.5. And that's simply to hold up your hand and say, Jesus said, I will never leave you. Five words. Can you say that with me? You hold up your fingers and let's say it. I will never leave you. You cannot imagine how comforting that is to a child. Teach them this when they're two, when they're three. And then when they leave to go to kindergarten, the morning you drop them off, you say, hold up your fingers. What do you know to be true? I will never leave you. Who's the I? It's God, the one who lives forever, who doesn't take naps when you rest in kindergarten. He will not be asleep. And when they go out the door, or when, which to me was the saddest part, when you drive them to college and you leave them in the dorm room and you walk out that door and drive off and see them in your rearview mirror, you remind them before you leave. I will never leave you. I am not going to be here to monitor what you do. But guess what? God doesn't sleep. And he is not going to leave you. I am driving away. You may think you're not going to have too much contact with me. And that's true. But God will be with you. Okay. Faithful. We used a sun, and we just talked about the sun comes up every morning, comes up every morning. And what Lamentations 3.23 says is, every morning, God's mercy is new, his compassion is new, he is faithful. And so what we would do when we were actually learning that one, we took a calendar page, and every morning we'd just draw a sun on that page. Did the sun come up today? Yes. Maybe it's cloudy. We can't see it as clearly, but it's up because it's light. And we'd draw a sun. And the next day, and it, it just reminds us of the faithfulness of God, that he's there every day and the same as he has been. Okay. Gate. Uh, just used a picture of a gate and talked about the whole there's some analogies in scripture that that God uses over and over again uh, one is shepherd and sheep so you need to do a lot with your children teaching them about shepherd and sheep and this particular uh, thing about Jesus is that he is the gate he's like the shepherd who lets the sheep in but uh, another one is the bride and the bridegroom that's another analogy that he uses so those two things I would work hard to uh, help children grasp that that's a way God 
relates, how he relates to us. Okay, then uh, gentleness. And uh, another word for gentleness here would be loving kindness. Uh, But we used gentleness just because I felt like it was easier for them to remember. But this was one of their favorites. And here's what we put on the card. We put uh, just a fat piece of remnant from a... uh, a lovey blanket, you know, that's just really, really soft. And then we have a piece of sandpaper. And we said, I said, this is what God is like with you. Feel that. That is the way he wants to be with you. Feel this. God does not want to be with you, with, this way with you. But you know what? Sometimes it feels like he's this way. Do you know what the difference is? It's whether you're turning and running to him or whether you're running away from him. It feels like this when you're running away from him. It feels like this when you're running to him. This is God's nature. This is what he wants to be with you. But you are the determiner here. If you run from him like Jonah did, it's going to feel like sandpaper. But otherwise, God wants to be gentle and have loving kindness that's eternal with you. Okay, grace is a huge one. And what I use to... um, to demonstrate this with a present, just wrapped up with a big bow. And then on the card, we just drew a present with a bow. And we just talked about that grace means God gives you what you need when you don't deserve it. And what we would compare it to is you get presents on your birthday, and so you feel like you deserve presents. You kind of feel like you deserve presents on your birthday, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's, and on and on. But the truth is that God gives you better presents, but they are things you do not deserve. You have no right to. And he, at his own expense and cost, died in order to give you those presents. Grace. It is something you cannot earn. I don't care how good you are if you get all the stickers on the refrigerator wall. You are not good enough to deserve all the good things that God has in mind for you. But he gives them to you as gifts. You don't earn them. And you can't demand them from him, but you do receive them. What do you do when someone gives you a present? You receive it. Okay, then another one that was a big hit was hiding place. And I don't know, little kids like to play hide and go seek. And they just, they're fascinated by hiding place. And God says in Psalm 32, 7 that he is our hiding place. So what we used was just these blocks, you know, these paper blocks. You can find your own hiding place. But they loved this because you could take it apart. And then we would put um, inside... One of the Fisher-Price people. They were just called Fisher-Price people. When my kids were growing up, now they're called little people, I think. But anyway, we would hide one in here. And, you know, we had a, I think there's 12 of these blocks. So when we were doing this, I would let one child go and pick a block and hide it and then put it all back together. And then the other kids could go find which block had it. But the idea of when you need, feel like you need to hide because you just want to be alone and you want to talk to somebody, God says, I am your hiding place. Don't ever think that you have to go running around in circles trying to find someone to talk to and to understand and to help you. God is your hiding place. And you can always run to him. Now, I am is a hard concept kind of for little kids. But it's, it's short. So they can remember I am. They can even look at it and see the I and the A and the M and remember it. But I think it's important to begin teaching them this because this is who God 
declared himself to be to Moses before a very big project. And so if he thought it was important to say that's who he was at that point in time, I think it's important for us to teach our children. Also, Jesus has seven I am statements in the New Testament. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. Uh, So... I think to connect that Jesus is the I am here on earth for those um, 33 years is important. But it's hard to teach the concept because what God means by this is I have existed always. But it's not just this existence that's out there on detached. It's I exist and interact with you. I have, can have fellowship with you. So it's not just that he exists. He's not just the little line that goes on and on and on and on. But it's that he wants to interact and have fellowship with us. And, um, you know, we sing that song about um, this is the air I breathe. I think of I am as being that. That God being the I am means that just all day long as I breathe, he is there and he wants to be part of my life. So we would kind of breathe and just think about every time you breathe, you can be aware God is there and God is real and God is living. And uh, sometimes we used an electric fan for this to just show them that the fan, when it's on, is, is, quote, alive. It's having an effect on something. And so then unplugged, it's dead. It's not having an effect on anything. And when God says he is the I am, he means he's the fan plugged in. He can affect things. He could, like this fan is making us cool or it's blowing the papers or whatever, he can have an effect on us. So that's kind of a hard one, but I think it's worth struggling with. Judge, we just use a gavel and we say God is the decider. He's the one who knows right from wrong. And he is the one who will finally decide all things. And just, we used um, rules that he has rules and he is fair with that and the way I demonstrated this to them was I said I set a timer and I had different amounts of change and I said okay for one minute I'm going to give each of you some change and so I would give some a quarter and some pennies and some a dime and as it went on for the minute or two minutes ever what we just had it they would say but he has more but she has more and I would say but has the timer gone off And they would say, no. And I said, okay, then you really can't make that decision about whether or not I'm just. Because the timer isn't off. And by the time the timer went off, then I gave them equal amounts. Now that's not a perfect illustration, but it helps them understand God is fair. But in a slice of time, you may feel like he is not fair. But you've got to tell yourself truth. The timer has not gone off. When Christ returns, we will see that he is fair and just. And this is another place you say, he is the just one. No one can be more just than God. So if you're offended by something, you say, oh, that's not fair. That's not just. The thing you've got to come back to is, wait, I've got to get in line with what God says because he's the definition of this word. And so it's not whether I'm offended. What we got to look at is he offended. And what we have to remember is that we can't tell it in one slice, one moment. Let's just look at the 
whole nation of Israel. You couldn't take one slice out and say, oh, God was fair. But when we get to the end, we're going to see God was very fair because he will have done everything that he said. Okay, for king, we just used a crown. I think this was a Christmas ornament, but it was the thing that we just used. And here's what you've got to get them to see about a king. Uh, God being king. Okay, here's the king of England, here's the king of the Netherlands, here's the princess of so-and-so, and they're all down here. God is up here. Nobody is above God. He is the king. So nobody is ever greater than he is or the greatest king. And one day he will come to earth and sit on the throne, and you will see him as the king. But he says in scripture that's who he is. Now the next one is the light. And... um Oh, I forgot to bring. I was going to bring a light bulb. Uh, you could use whatever you want to demonstrate this, a flashlight or a light. But we used a light bulb. And one of our kids, when they were praising God for being the light, just said, thank you for being the light bulb for my life. And that stuck again. And so we still tease him that Jesus is the light bulb. And we tell his children that that's how he memorized that verse about thy word is a lamp unto my feet. He memorized it. Thy word is a, lamp, a light bulb to my feet. And then uh, the Lion of Judah, and I think that was what my next picture was. Um, I think it's important to teach them this, that he is the Lion of Judah. And we just used a picture. I actually have a picture framed in the house that we we used to talk about this. Because you clearly want to teach that he's the Lamb of God. But you want to teach that he is the Lion of Judah. And when he comes back... He will be the Lion of Judah. And a great way to do that is they get a little bit older. It's just to correlate it with Aslan in um, Narnia. Um, because he represents the Lion of Judah. Then living water. We just used two glasses of water. One clear and pure. And one that we put some mud in that was dirty. And we said he is the living water. When we drink of him. He cleanses us. He purifies us. He uh, gives us life. But if you drink out of this glass, no telling what you would have. And that's what you want to be careful of in life. Okay, for love, let's see, let me go to my next list. Uh, The thing that you want to impress them with here is that love is action. Not just sweet words, but it's action and that God demonstrated it by sending Jesus to die. And uh, the other thing I think you want to emphasize here is it doesn't ever stop. He never stops loving you. And so we would use those uh, birthday candles that you blow out and then they come back on. And we would talk about, now, if you disobey and you've done wrong things, do you think that means that uh, he stops loving you? And I would blow the candle out and I would say, does it, does it mean he stops loving you? And eventually they got to where they would say no, but then the candle would come back on. And so I would just demonstrate now, if you cheat on a test at school or you hit somebody while you're on the playground and just go through and blowing out the candle and saying, does that mean he doesn't love you? No, he still loves you. So that's the emphasis you want to do on love. Um, on mercy, we use just, again, just look in your toy room and... I used an ambulance because I said mercy means that God knows that there's something wrong and that he is willing to come and to rescue you. And it has a little stretcher and it has band-aids. Mercy means that he knows what's happening to you and he is willing to come and to help you, to rescue you, to put the band-aid on or heal, whatever. But he knows about your hurts. 
Andy Stanley says at night, uh, ask your children how their heart is before they go to sleep, and that's a good way to talk about God's mercy. What is, what, where does God need to send his ambulance for you? And patient. Uh, this one we used a teapot, and we would fill it, I would fill it full. Of, first I would fill it with just a little bit of water and turn it on, and it would just start whistling immediately. And then I would fill it really, really full, and we would have to wait a long, 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 long time. Especially if you have an electric stove. It takes even longer. Gas does it faster. But eventually it would begin to whistle. And so we said, this is what God is like. The teapot is full, and he waits. God tells you how to live. He warns you about it. But he waits, and he waits, and he waits. He is patient with you. But one day, his anger will come out in some way, but he waits a long, long time because he doesn't like to do that. He is patient because he, it is not his will that people perish, but rather that they would turn to him. So don't think that because the whistle hadn't gone off that you are getting away with something because God knows, but he's patient But eventually, you will have to uh, reconcile that you've been disobedient. Come to mommy or daddy and talk about it. Ask God to forgive you. And then that he is the potter. And the easy way to do that, of course, is just Play-Doh. But um, we would keep some fresh Play-Doh. And then we would let some dry out. And I would put it in a baggie so that they could see the difference between how you could mold the fresh Play-Doh and what happens when it's dried out. And you know when they play, they hate getting the dried out Play-Doh. So it's a good way to point out. So does God. Uh, stay in his hands so that he can uh, mold you. And then he is the protector. And we just used these little, um, you know, like at Michael's or whatever. I don't know, even remember where I got them, but I still have a box full of them because I think you have to buy about 500 when you do. But, you know, just use these little umbrellas. And now I can't get this one open. But anyway, you know how they open up. And just say that what God is is he is your protector and when you disobey though you are putting yourself outside of his umbrella of protection but when you obey you are under it and sometimes we in the rain would just take a big umbrella and we would walk and get wet and we'd say okay why weren't we protected because we didn't use the umbrella okay when you go through life sometimes things that occur in your life that are difficult are going to be because you've moved yourself out from under God's protective umbrella okay then the next one um, is redeemer and I thought I had done this one but I don't see it let me see maybe I stuck it oh yeah here it is Uh, what I used to talk about redemption and salvation was the idea of mud And how sin, it's like our hearts are just trapped in the mud of sin. And the more, you know, if we just let it go, it just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. But what Jesus did is he came and died for us and rose again. And when we accept that he died for our mud, our sin, it's like he then lifts our heart out of it. And we are free. Now, in sign language, we did it this way. That you kind of bend down, and it's like you're all trapped in the mud. And we learned um, 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and thou shalt be saved. And so when we said saved, we would just jump up like we were jumping up out of the mud. We were free from it. And so that they get a tangible idea of sin traps. It keeps you from being all that you can be. But Jesus' death has redeemed you from that. He can redeem your heart out of the mud of sin. And then resurrection. Uh, we just, I just used my flannel figures for Jesus dying and then um, the empty tomb. And um, you know, we would just talk about on the third day, and they loved to be the ones to move um, the tombstone and how he came back to life. And then I had a flannel figure of him, you know, in his alive state, in his robe, but not this way. Don't shy away from telling them that Jesus died. Uh, you don't have to go into the nitty-gritty details of what crucifixion is, but they can handle that he died and he rose again. And you can build on that then through their lives as they go on. Uh, that he is the rock. And this was another one they loved because sometimes we did go places where there were tall rocks and then we could talk about that he is the rock that is taller than you. That's what it says in the story. And I'm hurrying a bit because there's something I want to read to you. Uh, tree roots, we just looked for roots and when we were weeding we would look at the roots and we would talk about how he is the root. He is the strong root that cannot be moved that we can have as foundation. And then Shepherd uh, used a lamb and uh, when it talks about that we're his lamb and he takes care of us and just talk about the 23rd Psalm and what all he does for sheep and when it says that his rod and his staff they comfort us we would play like the lamb was going to fall off of something and then the shepherd would just take his staff and he would rescue the lamb he would protect us and pull us back so that's what a shepherd does and then on the card we just drew a shepherd and that was a favorite though they liked the shepherd. Shield, just draw a picture of a shield and what does it do? It protects your heart. He sings over us. That's an easy one just to have some music or favorite song. Then omnipotent. Um, okay, there's shepherd. Okay. That he is all powerful. And this one's so easy to do. Just go in the toy room, collect all the power figures, all the Spider-Man and all the Batman and all the Star Wars. Put them all in a line. And then you just make little X's on paper and you tape it on each one and you say, none of these is as strong as God. God is up here. And all of your little pretend power figures, as mighty as they are and things they can do, and even as you grow up and hear about people who are strong in the world, no one is as powerful as God. And then he's a strong tower. We would build block towers and put the little figures in them that you can run into the tower. Now, truth, what we did is we made um, a real cake and frosted it, and then we made a cardboard piece and frosted it. And we said, now, which do you want to cut into? If you are really hungry, do you want to cut into this cake that is truth, or do you want to cut into this one that has frosting on top of it, but it's cardboard inside? And we'd say, Jesus, Scripture, God is truth. Other ideas and thoughts that deny and talk against what God has said in his word are fake. And you're going to have the same effect when you cut into them. And here's another one that um, 
was kind of complex to talk about, but he is on changing. And the way we did this is we got out our train track. It was actually my train when I was little. And we put the engine on it. And on that train track, for that engine to run, you've got to get the wheels on that track. You can't use a different track. And it can't run by itself off the track. And so what I said about on changing is God always runs on the track of his name and his character. That does not change. He's always going to be on that track. Now, there is no limit to where he can go on that track. That track can go anywhere. Uh, He can do anything. But you can always be assured his character and his name are not going to change. He's going to run on that same track all your life and through eternity. So we can know he is always loving. He is always eternal. He is always merciful. He is always compassionate. He's always full of grace. Uh, vine, we just would really pull a real vine. And it's great if you can uh, go see some grape vines because then they get the, the picture that the grapes are produced from the vine. And then Wing, because he said that he um, would um, protect Jerusalem like a, hen, a mother hen would protect uh, the babes under his wing. That his wing, and it says in Psalms that his wing is a shelter over us. So we would just use the chicken and the babies under it. And then wisdom, we use glasses because what wisdom does when you read God's word and you learn he is wisdom so you begin to learn his ways and his name it's like putting on a pair of glasses that corrects your vision about life if you don't learn his name you don't follow his ways you don't look at his word it's like you're going around kind of blind about life but you can always go to his word and get wisdom and then you have a different way to see life now you know I'm not suggesting that you go home and do all 40 of these. I am suggesting that before you leave here, you pick two or three that you might try in the month of May. And you might do a card for it, and you might get a basket and put it by your breakfast table. And you just use it as a a different way to do grace before uh, meals. Let's just thank God for what he is, and they could hold the card and do that. Uh, Another thing we've done with knowing God's character is when we pray for people and we know they have a need, we say, what character quality or attribute or name of God does this person need? Maybe it's being the great physician. Maybe it's being the strong tower. Maybe it's being the merciful one. But reminding God when you're praying for someone of what he's like and what he could do for them. That's a good way to teach children to pray. And always to teach them to begin by remembering what God is. To begin their prayer by remembering what God is. Now... Uh, sometimes when we wanted to give a gift to someone, we would just put the names of God in our little pictures because they got to where they could draw on just a little spiral notebook. And we would take that as a gift to someone if they were sick or they were having a difficult situation. And we would say, here are the things, you know, these are things we're praying for you. But I want to read to you just real quick, and this is the last thing I'm going to do. My oldest grandchild, well, let me back up even further. My oldest child, our oldest child, uh, is a rebel at heart. And uh, she does not follow God. um, And that's been a real heartbreak. But when her oldest child, he's our oldest grandchild, was about three, I could tell the direction she was moving. This is not going to be a good situation for this child. And so just taking, um, teaching him the names of God, 
I was thinking, God, help me do that. Every time I'm with him, just help me teach him something about your name. And so God just really put it on my heart when he was three that for Christmas I would write a story. And I wanted it to be for him, but I made it for all the grandchildren, but specifically for him. Now, I'll read you this story and then I'll tell you. This is from Grandma for Jack and Lauren and Ellie and Baby Browning, whom I love very, very much. And for all children everywhere, all of whom are very precious gifts from God. May this be read to them by someone who loves them very, very much. Christmas 2004. Jack is a little boy who loves to play with cars and balls and trains and in the sand. He's a very precious gift from God to his mommy and daddy and papa and Ben Ben and grandma and grand grand. All his aunts and uncles and cousins who love him very much. I wanted him to know God has provided people who love him deeply. Jack loves days when the sun is out, not hiding behind clouds. A sunny day, he calls it. But some days are stormy days when clouds hide the sun and the rain falls and the wind blows and we see lightning and we hear thunder. A blistery day, as Winnie the Pooh would say. On stormy days, what do you need to be safe? On stormy days, if you were a ship, you would need an anchor. On stormy days, if you were a building, you would need a strong foundation. On stormy days, if you were a tree, you would need deep roots. On stormy days, if you were a baby chick, you would need to be under your mother's wing. In the storm, Noah and the animals needed an ark. On stormy days, if you're a person, you would need a rock that is higher than you are tall. Sometimes as Jack grows up to be a big boy and a big man, he will have blistery days. Not just days of rain and wind when you need an umbrella and coat. But days when there are storms of difficult things and problems and pain and things that hurt and confuse and they put a frown or an afraid look on your face. What does Jack need for those kind of stormy days? He needs an anchor, a strong foundation, deep roots, a protective wing, an ark, and a rock that is higher than he is. Jack needs someone who can promise to never leave him. Who can promise him that? Can mommy or daddy or all the people who love him promise them that they will never leave him? No, they cannot. But Jesus can because he is God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our anchor, our foundation, our root, our protective wing, our ark, our rock that is higher than we are. In the Bible, Jesus promises to never leave us nor forsake us. As Jack grows up, he is learning many things. He's learning about sunny days and stormy days. Most important, he's learning about Jesus, who loves him very, very much. Jesus can be Jack's anchor, Jack's strong foundation, Jack's deep roots, Jack's protective wing, Jack's ark, Jack's rock that is higher than he is. Jesus promises he is all of these. Jesus can be Jack's safe place in all the storms of his life. You can know Jesus when you understand you have done wrong things. You understand Jesus died for the wrong things you have done and that he came back to life. Hooray! You can ask Jesus to come into your life of sunny days and stormy days because Jesus can take care of you in all of your sunny days and stormy days. So he was three And I wrote that book and gave it to all the grandkids who were born at that time. And it became a favorite to read and still is. And uh, when he was seven, his parents divorced. And now he is nine. But I have seen him through all of this confusion and up and down and horrible circumstances. 
he's done pretty well. And I think it's because he knows who God is in tangible ways that he can fall back on in the midst of those storms even though he's just a little boy and he's not in control of his circumstances and his grandma is not either. But Jesus is. So I would encourage you to teach your children about God's name. Uh, One of my daughters for my birthday did a little grandma brag book and it has all the grandchildren. It has each of them and it tells what their name means. And it has pictures of them. I love this book. I think it's so fun to look at. And I pray that they will become what their name means. Uh, Sam's name means that God hears. So I pray that he will realize all his life that God hears him. But more importantly than praying that they live out what their name means, I am praying that they will, in their uniqueness, be able to reflect to a watching world what what God's name means. I love to show off this book. I love to show pictures of my grandchildren. But you know what? God loves to show pictures off to the world of people who know his name. And he longs to say of each one of us and of your children, don't they look like my son. Let me pray. Father, thank you for revealing your name to us. What a stronghold it is for us to go through life and know that you have been implicit about what you're like so that we can turn to you and rely on you and find you to be those things. Father, thank you for all the circumstances in life that cause us to understand more about you. I pray for this next generation that you will help this room full of women be able to teach and train their children so that they know you and that their lives can reflect you and that we bring much fame and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. That was amazing. Um, Okay, we're going to open it up for some Q&A. Anybody have any questions? Don't be shy. Don't hold back. And just for recording purposes, um, wait till I run up to you with the mic so everybody can hear and we can get it on. uh, (laughs) Um, First off, where do we get a copy of that book? Because that was awesome. Um, Yes, the one that you wrote. (laughs) Wait, wait. Hold on a second. Is your mic still on? Oh, okay. Okay. I've thought about that. Um, I think I would have to change it to a neutral child so that that wasn't too personal. Um, but maybe I'll do that. Um, my husband has said that to me. He says, why don't you, yeah. you know, do something with that book? But I, I, one thing is I wrote it for Jack. I saw God allowed me to understand the storm clouds that were there. So I, would, I think I would have to change it somewhat. Um, but anyway, I thank you for thinking it was worthwhile. Oh, you're so gifted in so many ways. Oh, oh um, someone wanted to know what the other book was? The Bragg, the Bragg book? The Bragg book that you have? Oh, it's just from Shutterfly. She just, she just took pictures and, I don't know, she just made a little thing for each of their names. And she looked them up herself. 
to do it. But it's a, it was, if you're looking for a good grandma gift, it is great. Because it has each of them and what their name means and pictures that she collected of each one. So only problem is now there's two more that aren't in the book. But <laughs> I have to have another book. Um, one other question. Through the years, what was the hardest thing that you found to teach your children about Christ? Like what was, was there one thing that you found was harder than others just to relate to them or teach them? Um, well, I, nothing pops right into my mind, but let me think. Um, well, I just think when they got to teenage years, I think that, they, that there were some hard things to convince them that um, to forego some of the pleasures that were there. Uh, I think that was just the hardest time, but just the natural thing. But as far as teaching them, I'm trying to think what would have been... Nothing comes to my mind, particularly. I think, you know, things that, when you get to some of those names of God, when you get to the Hebrews, maybe sometimes that's a little confusing to them, but I felt like by starting with the real tangible ones, we had a good foundation for that. Okay? Is there anything that you could give us wisdom on that you would do different that would maybe prevent them from wandering? Because I guess... It's, that always makes me nervous. You said your oldest daughter yeah. is a walk with the Lord. And uh, I, you know, I am sure that we could have done some things differently or better. But the thing that I realize is you cannot make your child follow Christ. But you can keep praying for them. And we still pray. We pray every single day that God will turn her heart. And uh, he definitely will have to do it. Uh, we can't do that. But I think somewhere you need to get by yourself and just commit each of them to the Lord and say, help me do everything that I can, everything that you want me to do. But in the end, they make, they make a choice. And you know this new book by Rob Bell, uh, Love Wins, his uh, conjecture in there is that everyone will go to heaven. Uh, when I study scripture and when I have dealt with an errant child, uh, at the very end, even in the millennium, uh, there will be people at the end of the millennium who will choose to go with Satan. And they have seen Christ, and they have seen his perf- perfection, and they choose to not be with him. And so I would say to Rob Bell, you can't make somebody go to heaven, even at the end when they could go if they chose right there and he's there. They will choose to do something different. You can't, you can't make someone do it. So I would just say, you know, I think you need to be prayerful and pray for your children. I would encourage you as women to, um, you know, I have prayed, uh, our Monday night community group, we have prayed 35 years together and we have raised our families and prayed together. Now we get together and we pray for our children and our grandchildren. That has always been a real source of strength and help to me, and especially you know when Jenna was choosing to uh, leave what we had taught her. So I would encourage you to, in your community groups or just you know with one another, even at your play times, just say, hey, we're going to pray for our kids five minutes while we're here or whatever, and just get in the habit of praying for them. Journal things that you pray for them because... You can always come back to that. The thing about it, when you pray, God works. And so he never rests about it. And I know he's not resting about Jenna. And I know that all the things we've ever asked him, he's at work. He's at work in some way. So I think you just have to come back to trusting God. He's good. He's right. 
um, his plans for us are good and that this, this looks and feels bad. But that's not his perspective. He's doing something that I don't understand. And maybe it's so that when I stand up here, I'm more authentic. You know, if she'd, got, if she'd done right, ah, I probably think I was the best mother in the world. Well, let me tell you, if you want to find out, you can talk to her. I'm not. <laughs> okay. I was just curious how you taught this to your kids at different ages. Like, did the older ones help the little ones? Like, or did you do repeat it? Well, mine were school? all two years apart, so they were a pretty close group. So I really didn't have to deal much with that um, by starting early. Here's what I found with four children two years apart. If you invest in starting whatever you're going to do with the first and the second, the third and fourth will follow. That, that, go, that means brushing teeth. If you just get a routine set for brushing teeth where the first and the second go do it and they do it how you've said, the third and the fourth will follow. So you have to invest some front-end time. Uh, but the younger ones just copy what the other one's doing. So I would gear it to your older and then let the younger ones have, you know, gear one or two things to them. But generally I would aim for the older and the youngers just follow. I did Good News Club for 15 years and I had kids from the age 6 to uh, 12 and I never had any problem with them because if I, if I captured the 12 and the 11s, those little ones were just so excited to be there with older kids. Worked. That's okay, don't worry. I can talk over a crying baby. <laughs> I'm not bothered by crying babies. Anybody else have a question? I don't know. At what age did you really kind of start implementing these things? I mean, I have a newborn, but I'm like... So I would say when they start, uh, well, you can start even with pictures now. Uh, just, I would like, uh, I would set some routines. Like if you're going to pray at night with your baby when you put them down, I would put some pictures around like a, a shepherd with a sheep and just verbally be saying, thank you for being Jason's shepherd. Thank you that he's a sheep. So I would start laying that foundation. And then when they begin to be more verbal, then you can interact more with them. But, but you know, as they're beginning to learn things, they're beginning to talk, what they start doing is saying simple words. So look for the simplest words to say out of that list or what things you see about God. And just begin to teach them that as, you know, you're teaching them saying mama, dada, sissy, or whatever. You can start teaching single syllable things to them. So I would just start, but I would start now praying, setting that foundation of praying and and calling on God's name for different things. And what what God would really put in my heart it was such a uh, an adventure with God. He would put certain names of Himself to connect with a certain child. Because like I have one child that's just so risk taking that I just felt like I, I just had to know every minute where he was, what he was doing. But, um, you know, the things about God that appeal to him like that, like being a warrior and being a, strong, a high rock or whatever, I mean, I would, I would connect those names with that. And then, you know, uh, someone else who was um, full of loving kindness, and then I would connect that name and pray that she would know that aspect of God better. 
departs. So God, if you're really committed to making it being a prayer affair with God about your children, I think you will find it delightful because he'll bring things to your mind to do. Pray. Work it out. I never, I never got up and thought, oh, today I have to teach my children this about God. But rather, you just do it as you're going through life. You know, just that's what mothers have to do. You don't really have this little carved out niche of time to do what you'd like to do. So you have to just bring it in while you're doing life. Thanks so much for this talk. It's been so encouraging, and we've filled up our papers with notes overflowing. But I have just a quick quiz question for you. You had a three-year-old in your car, and he said, Mom, what kind of car does God drive? Because he's so fast, he's got to have a real fast sports car because he's everywhere. I always tell him God is everywhere all the time. What would you say? I I would put it back to him and say, you know, you're right. He is fast and he is powerful. What kind of car should he have? And I bet he will have some sort of response. And then I would just say, you know what? God doesn't even need a car. But when he's asking you that question, he's got something in his mind that he's saying is a really souped up vehicle. So I would let him express that. And I would say, you know, God probably loves your idea of a car, but he's just so great he doesn't even need one. But I wouldn't tell him that right off the bat. Because when they're asking you something, they've got something they're thinking about in their mind. And so turn it back and find out what that is.